July 12, 2022, we're in and if you count from the top, it's four lines down, two words before the end of the line. If you recall, the Gemara is in the context of talking about Nebuchadnezzar and Hananya, Mishael, and Azariah. Hananya, Mishael, and Azariah refused to bow to the Salem, to the idol which Nebuchadnezzar Harasha, <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar Harasha had erected. And as a result, they're thrown into this furnace of fire, they emerge alive. And the Gemara had many dirashot that accorded with that occurrence. As the Gemara marbi tanhum bar hanila'eh, b'sha'a sh'yase'u hananya mishael v'azariah mikivshan ha'esh, ba'u kol umot ha'olam v'tapehu l'son ehem shel Yisrael al penehem. At the time, says Rabbi Tanhum, I'm sorry, we're out of Gemarot. At the time that uh, Hananya, Mishael, and Azariah emerge from the furnace unscathed, they're alive, nothing's happened to them. It's a miracle. Everybody was able to behold. If you recall, the Dirashah and the Gemara was uh, that the furnace had a crack in it, that it was hovering above. Everybody literally saw and beheld the miracle. Uh, so, Sonehim Shel Yisrael in this context is a euphemism. Instead of referring to Am Yisrael in a negative sense when they do the wrong thing, the Chachamim will very often refer to them as Sonehim Shel Yisrael, the haters of Yisrael. For example, in the Gemara and Masechem Megillah, Mipene Ma, why was it? Nit Hayevu Sonehim Shel Yisrael, Beltasha Akiliah, why are the haters of Yisrael? And of course, one of the answers of the Gemara is that was Am Yisrael, that was the Jews living in Shushan and its environs. Why does the Gemara refer to it as Sonehem Shel Yisrael instead of speaking negatively directly about Am Yisrael? Call it the haters of Yisrael. Anyway, that being the case, so the, so the statement here of Bibitam Hum is that all the Umot Ha'olam, everyone who beheld this miracle which took place, the Hananya, Mishael, and Azariah, they walk up to every other Jew and they say, Yo, 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 you did. I don't understand. You. Uh, you bowed to the idol because the Pesukim seem to attest in Sefer Daniel that everyone's bowing to the idol. Everyone's bowing to the idol except for Hananya, Mishael, and Azariah. Wait a second. You have this type of God who will save you from a furnace of, of fire, who will uh, perform miracles for you if you just stand by your allegiance to him and you're, and you're abandoning him? In other words, it's an embarrassment for all of Am Yisrael. We're familiar with these circumstances where one person or several people perform Kiddush Hashem, and as a result, it's almost embarrassing for us. Uh, we didn't. Uh, how could we explain? We had all sorts of rationalizations. Well, it didn't look good. It was politically incorrect and so forth. But these people did it. They stood for truth, and as a result, uh, they are exemplified and showed to be right. Miyad, as immediately says the Midrash of Bitarhum, Patu Amru, Am Yisrael responding to the claim, the embarrassment of Umota Olam to them, Lecha Adonai Hasedaka Velanu Boshetapanim Kayom Haze, you are Kadosh Baruch, of course, you are the uh, the the essence of Sedaka, of course, Laso Sedaka Mishpat is Pasuk. Which it describes Derech Adonai, of Abraham. You have Sedaka, you have been and will be righteous, Hakadosh Baruch Hu. But we, we have Boshet Apanim, we're just embarrassed by our wrongdoing. Amar Bishmuel Bar Nachmeni, Amar Bionatan, Maidichtiv, he's making a derasha along these lines. Again, the idea being everybody else neglected their responsibility. Hananya, Mishael, Nazariah, instead of succumbing to the pressure of Nebuchadnezzar, realizing this is an opportunity, the responsibility to be Mekadesh Hashem, they jump in or thrown into this furnace, 
Everyone else seems to be looking not that great. Makes a derasha along these lines from Pasuk in Shir Hashirim. Amarti e'ele betamar ohaza besansina. First and foremost, as Rashi points out, the Gemara Masechet Sukkah and Daf Memhe suggests that a tamar, a points in Torah, in life, is like Yisrael. How so? A tamar tree, a day tree, has one live, has one heart of sorts, and as a result, we envision all of Am Yisrael as multifaceted, all sorts of different stripes and colors and uh, approaches to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to the world, but we have one live, it's La'avinu Shabbat So tamar, when mentioned in Shir HaShirim, <coughs> is immediately understood by the rabbis as Yisrael. So the Pasuk then says, Amarti, I said, of course, Shilomo speaking in Shir HaShirim, I will rise up, I will climb the tamar tree, the date tree, but then the Pasuk says, I'll grab onto, I'll, I'll clutch the branch. I thought you would climb it and then eat from the fruits or many of the branches. What's with the branch or several branches? This, the reference, so to speak, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu talking and saying, I was planning on involving myself entirely, being impressed by that relationship with Am Yisrael. But you know what happened? As I got involved with that Tamar, all I came back with was one branch. There were only three individuals who stood up for my honor. I thought, quote unquote, says Borei Olam, they would all sanctify my name. I thought this was an opportunity for Am Yisrael part and parcel of their genetic uh, um, DNA, of their uh, metaphysical DNA, is that they are mekadeshem shamayim, that they stand for kiddush Hashem. I thought, ele betamar, I'll see them. All I found was, ohazab b'san sinav. In fact, Ramban Nachmani in his commentary to the Torah points out in several places in Sefer Bereshit that Ma'aseh Avot Siman Nabanim that what you read by Avraham Tachni Yaakov is not to be read in a vacuum. Don't read it as history. Read it as reality. Read it as what we are and will continuously do. I mean, that's strange. Not so strange. You'll look back at historical events to Am Yisrael and you'll be able to pinpoint almost a direct coordinate to Avraham Tachni Yaakov. To the extent that it's sometimes difficult for people to understand, seriously, I mean, is that what we, uh, the suggestion of others, it's always rung very true to me, is look at, of all the nations, at least to our knowledge, of the world, the nation that has, over the course of time, exemplified Kiddush Hashem, it's Am Yisrael. So maybe it's not with Akedah Yitzhak, maybe it's not with the direct command of slaughtering our child, rising on Tahara Moriah, and so forth, but that we lived by and will live by the virtue, the ideals of Abraham Avinu, that's part and parcel of who we are. That's the mention. I thought they would all be Mekadesh. I thought that's what Am Yisrael was about. I'm a little let down. It's a little embarrassing for my nation and for me, quote unquote, that it was only, but at least it was, continues in these derashot with regards to the aftermath of Hananiah Mishael Nazariah. Of course, it's an ironic aftermath. We're thinking Hananiah Mishael Nazariah couldn't get better than that. You had individuals who were thrown into a furnace because they wouldn't bow to the Salem, to the idol. That's amazing. They came out unscathed and alive. There was also some negative repercussion. So that's what we're reading about. One more derasha on those lines. It's a, it's from Zechariah. It's a strange description, a strange nevuah, which we're going to attribute, uh, you know, not so not so surprisingly to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And we're in turn going to try to decipher it. Ra'iti halayla ish rochev al sus adom. I saw at night, 
first clue. Second clue, an ish, a man, it sounds like, um, riding on a red horse. Third clue. Vehu omed ben hahadasim, and he was standing amongst the hadasim. How do we translate hadasim? Myrtle? Right. Yeah, myrtle. Asher bamisula. Misula is a hard word to, to, to translate. Uh, we'll try to deal with that in a bit. Uh, it will be translated as a valley area, a place of, uh, of, 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 of dips in the ground. Well, what is and then the Pisukim continue, and well, we'll talk about how they continue in a moment, that the color of the horse changes. So there's a lot of hard to decipher and figure out clues over here. My, what is it, says Rabbi Yohanan, Ra'iti Halayla. What's the reference to the night? HaKadosh Baruch Hu at that time period, ironically, again, it's not what you would expect. If I were to tell you the story, if you knew the story of Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, you'd say, quote-unquote, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is smiling, he's saying, it's Banai, I can't believe how wonderful this is. No, 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 the Hachamim see it as critique of the people. They're the only. How are they the only? This is literally Kiddush Hashem, only three people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to turn his world, our world, into night, meaning to decimate Am Yisrael. And there was the man riding on his horse. And Ish el HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ish in the context of, I guess, horses, battle is HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the eyes of Rabbi Yohanan here in this derasha. So who's the one who's on his horse, the red horse? It's HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What's he interested in doing? In destroying Am Yisrael? Nobody is Mekadesh Shamaim. Nobody is standing up to the plate to do what needs to be done. Asus Adom, why is it a red horse? Of course, red is representative of blood. He wants to, quote-unquote, turn the entire world into blood. I don't know if this means literally the entire world, or alternatively, it means Am Yisrael, as referred to as Kol Ha'olam. Why do I say maybe only Am Yisrael? Based on the Gemara Masechet Yevamot and Dav Samech Gimah, the Gemara over there, which talks about the death of the 12,000 times 2, 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, it says, V'haya Ha'olam Shamem. I always love those words. It's fascinating words. The whole world was empty. The whole world was not empty. 24,000 important students, whom we don't know their names, but important students of Rabbi Akiva were lost. Haya Ha'olam Shamem. Says Rashi, there was no Torah. Along those lines of Rashi, it's a description in the eyes of the Hachamim. That is the Olam. The Olam is the Olam Haimit. So there's lots of things, lots of peripheral distractions and important circumstances that will serve a path to Emet. But when we talk about Olam, we're talking about those who are marching on the straight path. So as a result, in my mind, he wants to be Mehapechet Olam Kulo Lelayla. It's a reference to Am Yisrael, but maybe to all. Anyway, Kevan Shinistakil Bahananya Mishael Vazariah, then Hakadosh Baruch Kivyachol, quote unquote, looks at Hananya Mishael and Azariah, sees that they stand apart from everyone else. What's his reaction? And when we get angry, there's almost a flaring up of the nose and a heated circumstance. Uh, we know that imagery of the Torah and the imagery in life. A person gets, their blood gets boiled. As a result, to calm down is to be kar, is to be cooled off. As a result, he looks at Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he's cooled off. Shene'emar, vehu omed ben ha-hadasim asher ba-mesula. And then the Pasuk says, and he was standing by the, uh, by the hadas uh, growths in the mesula. What is that? How do you see Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah there? Ve'en hadasim el First and foremost, the myrtle, the hadas, is a reference to the righteous one. Shene'emar, vehi omen 
Et hadasa, that's a reference to Mordechai taking care of Esther. It's probably working. There are two opinions of Gemara, Masech and Megillah, as to whether her real name was Esther or her real name was Hadasa. Uh, either way you slice it, this will work, but it's probably working with her primary name is Esther, and she was named Hadasa because of her righteousness. Hadas, Hadasa then is a name in the context of righteousness. For what reason? We've talked about it on other occasions, but Hadas is set apart by its smell. The ability to smell the myrtle is what sets it apart from other types of things. Many people on Mosei Shabbat will take Hadasim in order to do Borei Menebisamin. Smell in the eyes of the Ba'alei Machshava very often represents the pristine source of something. For example, the book B'nai Sascha points out that if you look at Het Etz Hadat, it's all the senses except for smell, which were a part of it, right? There's the sight of the tree. Of, of, uh, then there's, of course, the eating from the tree. There's the speech. There's the touching, except for smell. Smell is the only sense that we have, which is quote-unquote unblemished. It's along those lines. I'm not going to get fully into this. I don't want to lose. Of course. I love this. This is my bread and butter. Along those lines, that's the reach nihawak throughout Sefer Vayikra. The korbanot are reach nihawak for HaKadosh Baruch It's the essence of who we are. It's a pleasant smell. Not that HaKadosh Baruch is smelling, but he's touching in, tapping into our truth. He sees, he smells who we truly are. It's what the Pasuk in Yeshayah says about Melech HaMashiach. He's going to smell the Yirat Shemaim. He's not going to see it. He's not going to hear it. He's going to smell it. As a result, the righteous ones are defined by their smell. Many other examples. If Musa was here, he'd start talking to us about Yitzhak and Isav and Yaakov. Very important as well. But that all being the case, the Hadassim then in our in our Navi Zechariah are a reference to the righteous ones. Who's the righteous ones in our story? So here it is. Hakadosh Baruch quote unquote is the man on quote unquote Mamash on the red horse. He's looking to redden everything to turn it into blood. He then sees he's standing amongst the Hadassim, Hananiah, Mishael, uh, and Azariah. No, because Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael bow, or we're going to bow to the Salem of Nebuchadnezzar. It's the Hananiah, Mishael, that's why I'm saying Olam is bow Am Yisrael. The end Misula, what is Misula? El Abavel, Shene'emar, Haomer. It cites a pasuk that the Misula in this context is a reference to Babel, Haomer, La Sula, which talks about the destruction of Bavil and describes it as Sula. In turn, this is taking place in Bavil. Of course, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, Nebuchadnezzar is Melech Bavil. All right, what happens then? All right, so we, you, you let us up to it, Zechariah. What happens? So there is God about to destroy all. He sees the righteous. Miyad, Mele'im, Rogez, Na'asim, Sirukim. The Adumim Naasu Levanim. The Pasuk then describes how the horse, which was red, first turns to Sirukim, to color, other color, almost like beginning to subside, losing the blood, uh, vicious uh, attack. And then it turns to white, which means to say, as he sees, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, quote unquote, Nitmaleah HaKadosh Baruch Hu. God is filled with a certain rahamim, a certain compassion for the people. The Gemara then concludes, Amara Papa, Shema'mina, Susaya, Hivara, Ma'alele Halama. As a result, we can derive that if you see a white horse in your dream, 
It's a good sign. It's a good thing. This is the Gemara Masechet Berachot and Daf Nun Vav Nun Zayin. The Gemara over there talks about different things that people will see in their dreams and talks about what it might demonstrate. Now, in that context, at least in my mind, the Gemara says on Daf Nun Zayin, if I'm not mistaken, that a dream is Ehad Mishishim Benevuah. It's like a sixtieth of prophecy. Uh, why so? Well, prophecy at its core means a clarity of sight. When you're sleeping and you don't have the distractions of this world, you're truly able to tap into your inner consciousness. You're able to make sense of what took place in your life before, and, and as a result, you're able to digest it in a way that's unadulterated. That's what you see in dreams. It's very psychologically speaking in my mind, the hachamim. That is the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. By understanding truth, you're feeling HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So as a result, the Gemara then says, if you see this white horse, it's not per se, although it might be a message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu injecting to you. It's more clarity. I'm going through something. I'm not certain, but there were clues within my life that things are moving in the right direction. I do have a certain intuition. When you have that dream, says the Gemara over here, says the Gemara over there, with that white horse, you should know that things might be based on your own understanding of self going in the right direction. That's the conclusion of the Gemara. It says the Gemara, all right, great. So now what happens to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah after all is said and done? So I got it. They're saved. And then what? We don't hear about them again. Sefer Daniel, they're done. They, they evaporate. They disappear. Where'd they go? Says the Gemara, Verabbanan. It's fascinating. They're already referred to as rabbis, but Rabbanan really means the important ones. You, you remember we referred to their clothing as uh, the clothing of Ribones, I think was the last one of the Gemara, the high stature clothing. That's Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah. Lehecha Azalu. Where'd they go? If you recall, the Gemara asked the identical question about the Atzamot, the dead people whom Yehezkel resuscitated, resurrected. Where'd they go? We ask it now about the. Uh, in the eyes of the rabbis, concurrent event of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Amar Rav Be'ayin Metu. Rav's statement, and this directly accords, if I'm not mistaken, Yad Ramah points this out, Rav's statement in Masechet Bava Metziah, Masechet Bava Metziah, Rav has a statement that 99%, 99 out of 100 people die of Ayin Hara, and that's how Rav envisions death in one way or another. What is Ayin Hara? Hard to define. At its core, in the eyes of the Hachamim, it's when too much attention is called to you for one reason or another. Does that mean that you're going to drop dead? Certainly not, but in the eyes of the Hachamim, Ayin Hara is the beginning to understanding it means attention is called to you, even if it's a positive attention, too much attention, too many people are paying attention to you for one reason or another, not so hard to either psychologically or even divinely understand such a concept, but I'm not overdoing it right now. That's the concept of Ayin Hara. In turn, you understand the circumstance. You have all of Am Yisrael who are embarrassed after they bow to the Selim. After, in the eyes of the Hachamim, the nations turn to them and say, you yo-yos, what's with you? These guys got it and you didn't. Everyone's looking at them both with envy and with a certain anger that, uh, you know, they showed us up. Ayin Hara Metu, that brought forth their death. Ushmuel Amar, Berok Tabi'u. That's a fascinating thing. As uh, the next opinion here of Shimuel is they drowned in spit. Rok is spit. Which spit are we dealing with? Says Rashi, it's the spit which the Umot Ha'olam spit upon the Jews at that time period. You idiots, you guys bowed and not Hanana, Mishael, and Azariah. In the eyes of many of the Mifashim on this Agada, this is not meant to be taken literally. It's not that there was so much spit of Halanya, Mishael, and Azariah are drowning in an alternatively uh, one of two types of approaches. Either in order to save the despair of the people, 
in order to save the embarrassment, so they pass away. And I was like, everyone's so embarrassed by Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Kivyachol, that brought forth their death. Alternatively, and Judah, I promised it, Ben Yehoyada, Ben Yishai, I saw this morning, uh, he, he suggests in this Gemara, hard to understand this concept, but I'll, I'll mention it nonetheless. The, the Hachamim mentioned Asara Harugim Malchut, for example, they talk about the ten people who were killed, and the eyes of the Hachamim, that brought forth some, some hard to fully understand, some uh, segment, some sort of semblance of Kaparat, to the people. The Gemara has such a statement that with the death of a Sadiq, there's some sort of atonement for the people. Hard to understand exactly what that means. I, I, I admit and I'm very clear, I, I have a, a little bit of a direction on it, but not a full one, so I don't want to put, but Benish Hai suggests that's, this, that's what's ha- happening over here as well. He suggests there's such a, 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 a terrible uh, circumstance for Am Yisrael, Kadosh Baruch who's looking at them, Kiv and said, you guys, I can't believe it, there's the red horse over here. Uh, the kapara for them is the death of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's the rock, the spit of the Umot Ha'olam, which kills them, says Ben Ishai. Virbiyo Hanan Amar, the last opinion here. So we had Rav, we had Shemuel. Alu Eres Israel. Of course, Virbiyo Hanan's the one who lives in Eretz Israel. Rav and Shemuel live in Bavel. Virbiyo Hanan says, ah, oh, they became one of ours, or they started us. Venaseu Nashim, and they got married. Veholidu Banimu Banot, and they gave birth to sons and daughters. That's a fact, you know, the Rabbi Hanan statement I was thinking this morning is, is along the lines of, you know, the, the individual, he retires and you never heard about him anymore. What happened to him? He moved off, he had children, he settled down. So speak. he moved off the scene. There was not a bad ending, it just was no longer a public ending. It was no longer involved, in, they were no longer in the limelight. Says so the Gemara, these three opinions, Rav, Shemuel, and Rabbi Hanan, is Ketanaim. And anytime the Gemara uses that word, Tanae, of course, Tanaim are the rabbis from the time of the Mishnah and the Beraita. So the Gemara is telling us these three opinions are recorded before Rav Shemuel and Biohanan in a Beraita. What's the Beraita? Bili Eze, one of the Tanaim Omer Ba'ain Haram Etu. He suggests, like the first opinion, like Rav, that it was Ba'ain Haram. Rabbi Yoshua Omer, Berok Tavu. Rabbi Yoshua accords with whom we had earlier, Shemuel. It's with that spit we discussed and explained. Hachamim Omrim, Alul Eres Israel, Venasu, Nashim, Veolidu, Banim, Banot, Shene Emam. Citing a pasuk this time in this beraita for they lived on Shema na Yoshua Kohen Gadol Ata Vereecha Hayoshevim Lefanecha Ki Anche Mofet Hema Ezohem Anashim Shen Asalahem Mofet Heveomez Hananiah Mishael Azaria Period. So as the Gemara, we can perhaps suggest that Remez Bapasuk when we refer to Yoshua Kohen Gadol, it's an individual that we'll refer to a lot more in the next few lines, several lines of the Gemara. Yoshua Kohen Gadol is refer to you and your friends, the people of Mofet. What's Mofet? Mofet means miracle. Mofet means wondrous. Who were the people of wonder that Yehoshua Kohen Gadol was perhaps involving himself with? It must have been, says the Gemara, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Period. Okay, that's the end of our uh, exp- ex- extended a discussion with regards to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now the Gemara says, okay, let's go back to another individual who, for some reason, wasn't mentioned anywhere in this story. Who's that? He's the, the name of the book, Daniel. We've been talking about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We've been talking about this Nebuchadnezzar, how they didn't bow to it. Everyone else bowed to it. What about Daniel? Daniel didn't bow to it. But Daniel wasn't thrown into the furnace. Now, Daniel had already separated himself, and Nebuchadnezzar had declared, and we'll see it later in the Gemara, it's Mefurash and the Pesukim, he's a god, he's my god. Daniel was almost a deity in Babel at that time period. He's not bowing to the Salem. How come the Pesukim don't talk about Daniel? Where was he? What was he doing? It's a very strange several lines over here. And Rashi 
picking up on the strangeness over here. Rashi says, this is three lines from the top on the left-hand side. Rashi says, the several Emoraim who give their suggestions, means they had it like this. They had some sort of tradition on this. To really explain what's going on, why they suggest what they suggest, I can't purport to have the answers. I'll make a suggestion or two. Says the Gemara of Daniel, Lehechan Azal. Azal in Aramaic means go. Where did Daniel go? He wasn't there. Where, had, where was he? Amar <coughs> Rav, the first opinion says, Rav, Lemichra Nahara Rabba Bitiveria. Rashi has two Nushao, two Girsaot in the Gemara, either Bitiveria or Bitura. Tura means a mountain. Tiveria, of course, is a city in Eris Israel. Tiveria is always, not always, very often associated in the words in the eyes of the Hachamim as the place from which the Geula will sprout forth. So any mention, at least in my mind, of Tiveria, it's a longer, I don't think I ever did it, a conversation about Tiveria, but it's a longer conversation. Tiveria is always that city which the Hachamim, for one reason or another, attribute and envision as the sprouting forth of Geula. That, in turn, that he's going to dig out a river in Tiveria or in the side of a mountain, the other opinion of Rashi, that's the beginning of his seeding. He's placing the seeds for the future redemption. Keep in mind, we're dealing before the second Beit HaMikdash, uh, the return to Eretz Israel. So, so to speak, at this time period, when Nebuchadnezzar is giving us a hard time, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah standing up to him, Daniel is already on his way, seeding the, 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 the sprouts for the, the, the future of, of, of return. Hushmuel Amar Le'atuyeh Bizra De Asafsata. Says Shemuel, he's, he was going to bring, Bizra means seeds, quite literally, Asafsata. Asafsata, the Gemara in many places, we saw in Rosh Hashanah and elsewhere, is Ma'achal Behemat, some sort of shoot which grows from the ground, which animals, generally speaking, would eat. What's the significance of that? That's what he's doing there. In this, maybe it's something along the same lines. Maybe it's a, he's now setting up the grounds in Eretz Yisrael. I don't have a full explanation to it. I don't know of a, of a better one, but that's what uh, perhaps along those lines Daniel is involved with. But again, Rashi says, Lastly, What was he doing? He was on his way down to Alexandria in Egypt to bring Hazir to bring a, a, a pork, a pig. What's, what's the, the reference to that? Maharsha and others struggle with that, but I mean, uh, perhaps he was he was he was bringing it in order to appease, in order to to almost pay off or deal with the nations as quote unquote he's planning for the future. Perhaps he's looking to appease because times of persecution. Not fully clear. What I can tell you is there's a different issue that's. Uh, that's brought up by the poskim in this context. In this context, the Gemara very clearly and without any problem comfortably suggests he was going into Egypt. He's going into Egypt. Now, we don't go into Egypt. The Torah in three places says you don't go back to Egypt. There's an Isur to be living in Egypt. The Gemara then comfortably says Daniel was going to Egypt. This is raised by the Rishonim, Yireim, and others. The best suggestion, the easiest suggestion, is that if you look in Talmud Yerushalmi, which addresses this matter straight on with regards to the Surah of going to Egypt, Talmud Yerushalmi says, but you're permitted for Sechora. Sechora is a reference to business. You're allowed to go for business. The famous Teshubah of Radvaz, Rabbi David Ben Zimra, who was a, who was a Dayan in Egypt. Of course, he makes his way to Israel, but he 
lived in Egypt. He's dealing with how are we living in Egypt. His suggestion is that the Isur is only lehishtakea. The Isur is only to live with the mindset of we're stuck here in Egypt. He says that was never our intention. We're on our way to Israel. Of course, then you'll say maybe only one day of Yom Tov he deals with that. He says not one day of Yom Tov. But of course, it's the question begs itself. If we're not here lehishtakea, he questions, however, in that Teshuvah, what about Harambam? His vision is that Harambam was Lehishtakea, which is not so simple, but that's his vision. There is, I'll just very briefly say, there's a tradition, it's, 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 it's been proven to be wrong, in the book Kaftor Vaferach. Kaftor Vaferach was written by, I think his name was Biasher Hafarhi. He was, uh, he was living in Eretz Yisrael in the medieval time period, maybe 13th, 14th century. He writes a book called Kaftor Vaferach. It deals with many mitzvot atiliyot ba'aretz. It was a fascinating thing. You're dealing with someone who lived, I think he was a, a student of Rosh, so it's 14th century. And he writes in there that there's a tradition that the teshubot or letters that Harambam would sign, he would say, Ani Moshe ben Maimon, who every day violates three Isurim from the Torah. That's what he writes. And many people got very angry at that. Has v'shalom, you're going to say that Harambam is admitting and proud or, or even embarrassed, but he's saying, I live in Egypt, and I, that's a violation. Alternatively, again, he wasn't lihishtakia, even he, or, and this is the, probably the best suggestion, um, two other suggestions, Yere'im suggests it's only if you go back from Eres Israel to Misraim. The Torah is saying, don't go back. Once you enter into Israel, don't go back to Egypt. Are you living in Israel? You're stuck in Israel. And the, the last suggestion is that the Egyptian, Hacham Vadya Yosef records this two places in his Teshubot in Yahavedat, that the Egyptian society of once was the problem. It's not the land per se, it's not a contaminated land. It's a contaminated land because of the people who live there. Today, the people who live there was Sanhedev, who was Mevalbeel. We no longer know the Egyptians of once. And as a result, the same way the Gemara Nyevamot says, we're not really killing uh, Amalekim and we're not really uh, b- uh, banning anyone from conversion in the halachic sense. Uh, well, so, but why not? Because Sanhedev was Mevalbeel. So too, you could go to Egypt, you could perhaps even live there with the intention and mindset of living there. All right, but anyway, that being the case, Daniel is making his way to Egypt to get Hazirim. Says the Gemara Ini, is it really so? I can't even accept it. Forget about the halachic ramifications. The practical, realistic uh, circumstances can't be. Why not? Because the Gemara was suggested in a moment, there was an absolute from Alexandria and from Egypt that nobody's allowed to take pigs out. They wanted to be the exclusive producers of pigs. As therefore, as a result of that, what they would do is Vahatanya Todus Harofe Amar En Parava Hazira Yotzem Alexandria Shamitraim Shin Hotrim Haem Shela Bishvil Shelo Teled. The statement here it's Mahlokit between Todos Harofe and the Hachamim. The question is with regards to the kosher status of an animal. Of course, an animal can't be taref. Taref means the animal was going to die within a short period of time from that uh, period. You know, they had some sort of natural disease inside of them. Question, or, or not natural, question is if they're missing the womb. If a mother pig or animal's missing the womb, uh, the rechem ha'em is out, is that considered taref? Is it going to die or is it just not going to be able to reproduce and have children any longer? That's the mahloka. Todus brought a proof. He said, you should know, pigs and, and cows, which, which are sent out or brought out of Alexandria, they're always brought out with first having taken out the womb area. Why did they first take out the womb area? Because they didn't want you to be able to take it out and reproduce with it. They didn't want you to take it out and now produce more pigs. His proof, in context, not our issue, is, you see, they're going to live longer even though they cut it out. But for our purposes, 
how did Daniel, the question is, get pigs out of there and then use them to reproduce, he's not going to eat them, reproduce them outside of Misraim, they would be cut out the opportunity to reproduce. The facts just don't match what you're telling me. So says the, from Alexandria outside. Outside. No, no, from Alexandria. Alexandria was, as the Torah describes, Egypt was the horse place. In the eyes of the Hachamim, at least during this time period. And later, it was also the pig place. Now, they wanted to be the exclusive pig, and it sounds like cow dealers. So they, to the extent they wanted to cut off all competition, they would castrate it before taking it out. Says the Gemara, how did Daniel get out with them in order to use them? Answers the Gemara, it must have been Zutre Ayete. Zutar means small. Kabir means big. Zutar means small. He took out small young ones. And as a result, when people saw him taking them out, they weren't suspicious that he was taking them out to reproduce them. They thought he's going to eat them, he's going to slaughter them, whatever it is. Below Da'atayu, and as a result, the Egyptians didn't realize what his intention was. And it's for that reason they gave him permission to take the pigs out and we upheld that opinion. What did the Gemara do in these final lines for us? It recorded the several opinions with regards to what was Daniel doing as he was not on the scene of the Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What did the Gemara do immediately before that? The Gemara recorded and discussed what happened to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Three different opinions. What did the Gemara do immediately before that? In a line, in a sentence, it talked about how although this was a fantastic event for Am Yisrael with regards to Kiddush Hashem from three, at the same time, it portrayed everyone else in a pretty rotten light because they weren't Mekadeshim Shemaim. They didn't stand up to the plate in that moment. Question on that, yeah. Where was he when the... When Hananiah did not bow. No, I think it's where was he at that time period. In other words, the question is why wasn't he mentioned? Where is he on the scene? The suggestion is each of those.